0: Well, welcome to The Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast exploring the good, the true, and the beautiful, and the lives and vocations of interesting people, people who are our friends. This is episode seven, an interview with Dr. Walter Strickland. What's up, y'all? Well, thanks for joining us from beautiful campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. How are you guys doing? Good, how's it going, Walter?
1: You know, I'm doing pretty well. We're sheltering in place down here. We got lots of time to to think and be with family, so I can't complain.
0: You know, Walter, you always look so dapper whenever I see you, <laughs> and even now you're you're kind of dressed down because you're locked. You know, you, I promised him that this was he wasn't going to be on video.
2: Yeah, but you're, you're look, not. You look
0: dapper <laughs> even when you got that. Oh, he's, he's yeah. okay. Go ahead. Uh, even with the south, God. that southeastern swag T-shirt is yeah. still looking, still looking dapper down there. So, thanks for joining us. The office looks nice. Thanks, thanks. Spending a lot of time um,
1: there. It's, it's a great day when you can wear uh, Jays to the office, and that's uh, Michael Jordan tennis shoes, basketball shoes. The office.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, speaking of Jordan, doesn't uh, oh, who's the professor that's always wearing uh, Jordans?
1: Stephen B. Ecker. Dr. Dr. Ecker. Ecker. Dr. Ecker. Ecker.
2: Does he ever not
0: wear Jordans?
1: Um, only uh let's see. I saw him at the funeral once he didn't have Jordans on. Oh, tasteful.
0: That was that was wise of him. You know, I remember uh he probably does. This is probably a normal thing for my graduation, he had Jordans in a kilt on, I'm pretty sure.
2: Yep, mine
1: yeah, too. Yeah, cuz he's okay. a PhD from University of St Andrews. There it is. So he he wore his uh his regalia with his little, you know, kilt skirt.
0: Whenever you can wear your Jordans with a skirt, you just got to do it. Now, speaking of Jordan, y'all caught up on the last dance?
1: I am. I am. So, as a, as a, I was born in Chicago. Yeah. And so, I remember seeing Jordan and Magic play at Chicago Stadium. And so that was amazing. So, oh. my, my dad, uh, myself, and my grandfather, three Walters, all went to go see a, um, you know, a basketball game there. And you know Bulls, Lakers, and then ever since then I've been a Bulls fan, and mm. so uh this that era is when I was introduced to the sport and when I you know grew a love for the sport, which actually thrust me into playing a lot of basketball, which is a, actually a big part of my own story. But uh, so yeah, I'm 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 eating it up.
0: Mm. Mm. Played a lot of basketball. You think you could take Michael one on one? I think you could. <laughs> He's he, Michael's no, not bad, I mean, but I think you could. I'm
1: pretty, pretty confident. Pretty confident. <laughs>
2: I am pretty confident that you would take me. As well. Oh, that, see, that's why you would lose, Michael. <laughs> I would have fun. I would have a lot of fun, though.
0: You would have fun. Michael's a lefty, so he—it's a little tricky. You gotta, you, it takes a little while to get used to it. I—I I haven't oh, been—I
2: haven't been playing as much recently. So You're maybe, a now. maybe if I was playing regularly, it would be a little bit better of a match. But
0: I haven't played in years, and I—I think I could still take you.
2: By by the way, I'm on episode three. Oh, you're behind. I'm I'm well behind. And we established this, he's younger, uh, Walter. So
0: so he's the Kobe, he's the Kobe generation. So this is kind of like a new like a new introduction, right?
2: Yeah. I mean I I mean you, you knew I loved I love duh and still love basketball. And so uh yeah. and so I obviously know who Michael Jordan is and have watched tons of highlights and uh but but grew up watching and, and enjoying Uh, Kobe more than anything else we my, my brother and I in fact we we I mean parked ourselves in front of the TV and and literally got every every purple and and gold item in our house and and <laughs> we built like a. Sh- I mean, it, we didn't think it was a it shrine. Was, you were worshiping, but we put like all this purple and gold, like stuffed animals, T-shirts, like toys, everything behind us, and then we sat and watched the the, you know, nineteen. What was it? Nineteen ninety nine, two uh, The the three P. The finals for the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. Whenever they went on their their yeah yeah yeah.
0: That was the that was the era. Um. That was, yeah, okay. that was a very worshipful experience for you. <laughs> that was like a Jamie Smith book right there. It was, yep. yep. Uh, now, um, I went to see Jordan play whenever, not whenever, occasionally when he would come to D.C.
2: because I was a Bullets yeah. fan, mm. which was... They were the Bullets back when you were watching them. That's right. <laughs> and,
0: like, our best player was, like, Tom Gugliotta. Mm. So we True. would... Go,
1: washington basketball
0: yes yes it was not a great time we did have we had some players back in like the early 80s but we would just go to watch to watch michael yeah and i'm still watching him on sunday nights loving watching it uh i'm thinking about bringing my kids in have you brought any of your kids in yet to that walter
1: i haven't but uh pro tip if you watch it on espn it's the non-edited version but if you watch on an ESPN two, there's an edited version That's where right. the language is a little bit less
0: salty. That's right. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about doing the ESPN two version with my kids. I think it'd be fun.
2: I don't I don't think Lila would be very interested. Yes, <laughs> your one-year-old is not gonna
0: pay much attention. Well, hey, Dr. Strickland, thank you for joining us here at the Hammer and Quill. This is a Bonhoeffer House podcast. We are all about in this podcast the good, true, and beautiful. Really, we're trying to uh, uh trace down a Philippians 4, 8 vision of the Christian life, which Philippians 4.8 tells us to 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 think about whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent, to think about those things. Now, you know, as we, we were think like kind of surveying the the cultural field. There's so much that is just not good, true, beautiful that we that really we take in, that's coming at us. That's kind of malforming us and shaping us away from conformity to the image of God So we wanted to in this podcast have interviews with people that are friends of ours, friends of the house and stop and look at their lives at their vocations, how they serve God in this kind of way and so um, you know some of these questions that we'll ask you today are going to be uh, kind of yes. down the the avenues of our, uh, our distinctives with the Bonhoeffer House, which which we call the hammer, the house, and the quill, or work, life together, friendship, and study. So we want to we're going to ask you all kinds of questions about that. We wanted to have Walter on because you have been a friend to the Bonhoeffer House for for years. You spoke at one of our first seminars, the Church and Race. You've preached multiple times in multiple churches. You've uh, resourced us in countless ways. We've had meals with you down at Wake Forest and up here. We've Kids played in my, in my, uh, in my woods in my yard. Uh, we have, you know, we have just been, been really blessed by your ministry, your friendship. You have, we've watched you as you persevered through a lot of challenges, remaining faithful in your walk with the Lord and uh, your calling as a husband, a father, a theologian. And so today we want to dive in. We want to find out more about, about your motivations, your practices. We hope to learn from Walter. Uh, about what, what one of the core values of this podcast is, which is vocation, something that you've studied, written, taught on. And so Walter, welcome. Introduce yourself. Here's, here's how we're putting this question is, what would be on the back of your baseball card?
1: <laughs> well, so, some very bad stats because I never played baseball. I, uh, I, <laughs> I play basketball. So. Uh, but yeah, so I was born in Chicago, raised in California, um, went to college in Ohio ended up in North Carolina going to seminary. And so I really lived all around the country, which has really given me uh, a very eclectic, you know, view of America, uh, which I, I was bettered in every facet of that exploration. I have lived in, you know, the South side of Chicago, um, Southern California. So very monolithic experience in um, all black, everything South side of Chicago to the very diverse Southern California, to the rural uh, cornfields of Ohio at Cedarville University, uh, you know in a very basically in the in the midst of um, You know the evangelical fundamentalist sort of uh, reality there um, And then coming to, to the south, you know for years and so I, I, I picked up on lots of wonderful things Had lots of uh, experiences that shaped me and formed me uh, in that regard um, a lot of those moves recently have been uh and preparation or at the task of being a theologian and minister. And um, I spent some time in Scotland as well. So, you know, that, that's.
0: But you I don't, but you don't wear a kilt.
1: I don't wear a kilt. Okay. Um, I don't think my friends from the South side of Chicago will ever forgive me if I wore a kilt <laughs> anywhere. So they're probably disowning me. Uh, but um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been one of those really neat things. I, I think that, Um, it's probably one of the most interesting things about my own story that's shaped a lot of my passions. A lot Mm. of the things that I'm, uh, working towards understanding about God's world right now.
0: Mm. Good. And tell, tell us a little bit about your family.
1: So, uh, I'm married to Stephanie, uh, on May 1st, which was Friday. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but on May 1st, we had our ninth wedding anniversary. Uh, so we had, yeah, so, so we had a romantic dinner at home with five people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was great I, I, I made a, a meal we had a dance afterwards I had a playlist many of the songs that were playing at our wedding uh, I had play for us there because our kids love to dance which is a part of our family worship as well so that's regular in the Strickland house awesome. uh, but we were we were celebrating the birthday of our of our marriage mm. uh, as we told our kids uh, especially the younger ones that's how they understood it so there's Stephanie and myself, uh, she's a wonderful woman of God. She was working with an organization called Canvas Outreach when we met. And so she, um, I really wasn't interested in, in, in talking to anybody new the particular night I met her, but then she started talking about the relationship of uh, parachurch ministries to the local church.
0: And, and, and you knew, and you knew. This is the one.
1: She had me with very okay, strong ecclesiology. So, yeah. uh, so she was awesome. Uh, so not, um, it's it's like, that's honestly what got me. And then I stayed around the list longer and she just reeled me in. So we, we have four kids. We have one uh, who's with the Lord. Her name is Hope Ayana, uh, Hope Eternal uh, is a translation mm-hmm. of her middle name. Mm-hmm. We have a six-year-old named um, Kendra Kazia Strickland, and um, which Kendra is six years old. She's in kindergarten. Kind of right now, and um, by that is a little nod of the head of the uh, COVID nineteen yeah, situation. Yeah, and um, my four year old is so uh, very ad- adventurous in contrast to her sister, who's very uh, non adventurous. Very, she stays close I, to her mother. Not I.
0: I picked that up. I picked that up when they were down here playing.
1: Yep, so that's that's, that's characteristic of those two. And then we have our little guy Trey, whose his real name is Walter the Third. And uh, so my, I mentioned earlier that my father is named Walter. I'm named Walter. My son is, but my my grandfather also is named Walter, but he has a different middle name. And mm. so he's the fourth Walter in succession, but the third legally. So that that's our that's our crew.
0: So do you go by Junior ever? Does your does your family call
1: you Junior? Never, because my mom snuffed that out ah. uh, as early as the delivery room. So they, okay. they, this is a place <laughs> so my mom is a strong you know, a woman. So she, uh, she, she wrote out Walter, Robert Strickland, the yep. second Roman numeral two, as, yep. I, as you see on all my That's stuff. That's what I
0: see on your stuff. That's right. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so, um, but they came back to do the check of, you know, to say, Hey, is this right for the birth certificate? And it said Walter Robert Strickland Jr. And so she looked at it and she said, um, this says Walter Robert Strickland Jr. That sounds like a boy. I'm is a man? Oh, yeah, so she, she it back to him for them to fix it. So, uh, there, there, some people have called man. me junior, but it's not because we want them to. Uh, it's because they just don't know better.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> what a great story! So, uh, yeah, you just yeah, sound so, like uh, a boy.
1: <laughs> it's always been the second Walter Robert Strickland the second. Mm.
2: Yeah, you just send them like listen. My mom's not going to allow that. This is this ain't going to happen. Okay.
0: I, yeah. yeah, I like that. Now, how, when did you know you were called to be a theologian?
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, part of the dynamic nature of walking with Christ is that it's a journey. It's um, a, a story. And so my own development is, uh, you know, I mentioned basketball. I'll just do this real quick. Basketball is a big part of my life. Getting ready to go play division one basketball, I tore my ACL meniscus, uh, my senior year, just before the recruits came for UNLV and uh, University of California um, Long Beach, um, then the Lord put me on my back for several weeks, and then I was really I felt a calling to pursue um, vocational ministry for the first time. So my I went to my pastor. He said I a call to ministry is a call to prepare, and so then I went off to Cedarville University, um, and then you know during that time I, I felt called to pastoral ministry. Uh, and in particular, more of a counseling type ministry, not really a teacher or proclaiming or sort of pastoral uh, preaching ministry. But uh, then as I graduated from college, I had a, a, um, uh, an internship where I, where I was able to teach a little bit. I was actually forced to teach a little bit because I didn't want to teach in front of people like that. I felt much more comfortable one-on-one uh, in large part because of a speech impediment I was getting over. Uh, but all I had to say is, uh, when I started teaching, I said, there's so much I don't know. So I went to, uh, uh, seminary to study for pastoral ministry. But then as I was in seminary, there was lots of questions that I began to ask that I didn't have answers to Mm -hmm. that not many of my friends nor faculty had answers to as well. And a lot of those questions that I was asking emerged from my reading of the on Anyabule's The Decline of African-American Theology. There's, there's a lot of figures I was being introduced to that I wanted to know more about. There's a lot of questions that, that, that I had sort of emerging from that book that actually was that book was beginning in some sense to make to make sense of my own Christian experience, my own Christian journey. Uh, some of the questions I was raising in the environments that I, I had grown up in and some of the, the feelings that I was uh, experiencing that, that, that some of the scholars and the, the thinkers in, the, in that book was giving voice to, for the first time. So, uh, I began to raise those questions in the, in the confines of a confessionally theological space, um, that I, uh, for folks that I trusted and there wasn't many answers there. So, uh, sort of at at that moment, which was about a year and a half into my master of divinity, it took me three years a summer to complete that. So almost midway, I began to have a lot more questions than, than I could find answers to. And it just sort of drove me into sort of researching and sort of getting out there and thinking a lot about questions that um i thought that evangelicals needed to engage uh in order to um, have a a manifestation of the faith and communicate the faith and train people to uh you know come into a faith that was you know able to actually uh, you know engage this every tribe tongue, and nation reality that the gospel is going to bring about in God's kingdom so how is it that we Formulate Christian thought now to facilitate that sort of a reality, even as much as we can now. I know that we won't completely get there until the kingdom is brought about by Christ Himself in His return. But how do we think um, and and teach and preach in such a way that brings that about the um, as much as possible even now? So at that point, I sort of became, I sort of transitioned from that, you know, coming to be equipped to be a pastor to being sort of falling into doing research and writing and thinking about those things and teaching more so and then uh, what came along with that with that is a passion to write and a passion to equip ministers to do that work in their uh, own ministries and so that's really that transition from my in my own life which really was began about a year and a half in the seminary and sort of kind of lingered for about 4 years mm.
0: now i have a question you you are around quite a few theologians in your life uh, right now would you say that 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 uh, coming to questions that uh, um, don't have answers, or questions that you you know you're thinking, man, somebody needs to answer. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to answer this. Somebody needs to write on this. Someone needs to engage engage in this. Is pretty common as far as uh, sensing a call to theology, or, or to you know as far as vocational theology goes, right.
2: research, writing, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say even, you know, looking at, so as you know, I, a lot of people ask me, Hey, should I do a PhD? Um, and the PhD shouldn't be entered into just, you know, haphazardly. I mean, it has to be a, a reality that's drawing you into that or you won't finish. Um, you know, there, there needs to be a vision for doing something as insane as a PhD. <laughs> and so, and, and oftentimes, and I, I say that like, seriously, don't do it unless there's a clear vision It's not something you say, oh, I'll just do it just to be better prepared. Well, you already have a master's degree. Uh, There you go. Continue to read books and stuff like that. But, you know, as far as learning to uh, think in that way, having to work through that much literature, I think that um, there has to be something that's driving you to want to contribute Mm. to the people of God in a very particular way that the PhD would, uh, you know, uh, help you do, uh, equip you to do. So um, a mentor of mine, Craig Bartholomew, he said, Walter, you, ha- you need to stretch your gifts to meet the needs of the day. Mm. And, I, and I've received that and given that advice a number of times because, um, you know, if there's a need that you see, if there's a question that you need to, that you, you wish was answered, mm. that you think the people of God would benefit from, you know, could it be that God uh, is calling you to give an answer to that? Uh, and, and the answer could be yes, if the circumstances around your own life lend itself to doing that task of thinking and, and what have you. So uh, that 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 to me is, is a very good question that I would uh, ask somebody if they are thinking about entering into pastoral ministry or if they're thinking about entering into, uh, you know, being a theologian uh, of any sort, biblical scholar, uh, ethicist, philosopher, uh, or if they're going to end up going into, you know, uh, a friend of mine was going to quit as, uh, you know, his job as an associate principal at a school uh, to go into pastoral ministry. But I said, dude, I think that you are uniquely gifted in the education God has given you, but your passion for Christ and your desire to remain true to his word, even as you are in that vocational space that's not characterized by um, objectives in your job description that have to do explicitly with ministry, but you're doing ministry so that, there, that in and of itself, I think, is a uh, is a very helpful sort of profile for you to remain as you are, where you are, with the spirit of equipping people mm. to flourish according to God's design and what have you. So anyway, I know I'm, I'm probably getting ahead That's into good. all sorts of other questions <laughs> I want to talk about, but um, I, 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 that that does lend itself to a larger conversation about why I become a theologian, but why I do anything in general? Right.
2: I, I appreciate that even as you were sharing that, you know, you, you shared it as a, as a journey that has twists and turns and curves. And so um, I just think that's really helpful for, for listeners who are, you know, maybe, maybe asking that question, you know, we, we live in college towns and so uh, who are trying to figure out what, what do I do next? What do I do with my life? And so um, I'm curious to, to hear, when, so when all the way back at the beginning of that story, you know, when you first, your, your minister said, uh, um, what was it Min- ministry, uh, means preparation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a call to ministry is a call to prepare.
2: So, so even back then, were you, were you recognizing or noticing or, or were, were other people recognizing and noticing within you giftings, uh, that, that kind of led towards ministry?
1: No, not at all. Well, I I should say this. Uh, So prior to going to college, so I I had applied to some schools as a a business major, but it was really confirmed that ministry was a a, a vocational ministry path, was the pathway that God was leading me to uh, at a camp the summer after uh, I graduated from college. So I went to that camp. And then, uh, after that is when I really, uh, I, I told my parents, cause that was a big thing for me. You know, my, my, my dad is uh, a chemist by trade. My mom's a teacher. And so we, you know, we were not a family of ministers and so that was a weird thing for me to sort of, uh, admit. Um, but yeah, so, th- but, but when I told them, they said that makes sense, mm.
2: Mm.
1: you know? So, um, and then, and then I came to my pastor Uh, and I, and my, my mom and my dad said, you know, it's probably good. You you tell, you know, one of our pastors. So I had a really good relationship with pastor Phil neighbors, uh, a dear brother, uh, and you know, sort of father of the ministry figure to me. And so I said, Hey, pastor Phil, can we talk? You know? And I said, I, I, I sense that the Lord is, is pushing me towards ministry, whatever that means. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but he said, you know, I've been waiting for you to come and have this conversation. Mm. So which, which that right there, I mean. is, 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 is important on identifying calling. Uh, that's an important aspect of, um, of what this means because, you know, as another mentor of mine said, if God is calling you to something, those closest to you will hear it as well Mm. in the sense that, um, yes, God can, you know, give you a passion for something. That's a good and godly passion. Then, you know, are you equipped for the task that that requires, but then, uh, you know, do the people around you who know your life, know your passions, know your habits, uh, can they see you in that space? Because it could be that you might say you're called to something because there's a limelight that comes with that, there's recognition that might come with that. Mm. And so if you're, if you're a, for example, just to go back to sports, we talk about sports a lot. If you're you know, 16 years old you know, um, and, then, and you're 5'1", And you said that you want to be a power forward for the Chicago Bulls. um, You know, there's lots of reasons to say that that might not be the case, you know. Uh, So I I think, you know, understanding who you are um, and having a passion and having the people around you uh, affirm that passion uh, and and affirm those giftings in you and the possibility that God might be able to continue that in you is really important. And I I would say that that's very true of any uh, field or vocational Driving uh, that somebody might have. Do I have the capacity to be a teacher or a medical doctor or an engineer? Do you Do you see me as good with numbers, or do I flourish in the area of liter- literary studies? And so, I think that is a very helpful sort of um, of a rubric to understand how to go about ascertaining what God might be calling you to. Mm.
0: Super helpful, super helpful, and, and even the the thought of um, involving that kind of life together. There, these are people that know me, they trust me, they're close to me. And do they affirm this? Do they, I I love that. I love that uh, uh, we were, what was it they said? Um, That makes sense. That's what your parents said. Um, You know, and if people around you say that doesn't make sense. Now it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not called to something, right? Like it may be that your parents who just invested, um, you know, a hundred grand in your education don't want you to go into ministry. Uh, or don't want you to, uh, you know, waste the money in some certain way. And so, but, but a lot of the times yeah. trustworthy people you're doing life with can yeah. really help with that external yeah, affirmation. And
1: mm. so, and I'll say a couple of things, you know, it's, as far as you divulging, whatever, you know, vocational striving, you might be feeling on, you know, on the Lord, laid on your heart, I would do with people who are missionally minded, you know, to you, that's another qualification for that group.
0: Right. And right. it's interesting
1: because uh throughout that journey um so I, it's funny that i i ended up here doing this with all these books behind me because uh and then having written in some and are am writing one i just sent a, a, book, a chapter off today to a publisher um because i couldn't read till i was nine mm-hmm. and uh and that was just a crazy journey that you know that i could tell you more about but i was being tested for all sorts of learning disabilities and things like this um and then I didn't read a book cover to cover until I was 18.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: So I was on my back recovering from the surgery that really the Lord used to get my attention to point me towards vocational ministry. I read Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis mm. uh, cover to yeah. cover. And then when I went to the teacher that helped me in to, to read in third grade and told her I graduated from college, she was dumbfounded.
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Just dumbfounded. So I went back to my elementary school to thank her. Uh, and I'm, I was glad she was there that day, but she was like, she just couldn't believe I graduated from college. And so, you know, it's interesting how God continues to stretch you and mm. mold you, uh, you know, and another a mentor of mine, there's this like, there's this cloud of like mentors I have had through different seasons of life. He says, if the Lord, he told me this in college, he says, if the Lord told you what you would end up doing now, you know, later in life. You would jump ship because you won't understand how it could be that God could do that through you. Huh. And so I think that was very profound. And so uh, and then I'll couple that even with like that that the journey from point A to whatever that last point is in your life. I'll couple that with some advice that my dad gave me, uh, who's a great and godly man that I love and appreciate. Spoke to him today. Uh, he says uh, the Lord can't steer a parked car. So to all the people who are in your region in the New River Valley that are um see I don't know where you guys are yeah represent New River <laughs> <That's> Valley <right. laughs> there you go, getting, we, we, we have country listeners
0: country. outside the New River Valley too so <laughs> <laughs> we're thankful you're listening out there too you three people but dozens of them <laughs> dozens, literally <laughs> dozens of them
1: you are nationwide oh yeah all over worldwide uh, <laughs> worldwide <laughs> so uh so my 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 dad would say you know for and it was it's helpful for you guys who are listening, who are in school, who are making mm. big life decisions, who are, who might be petrified of making the wrong decision is that my dad said this one, uh, God is a lamp unto your feet. He's not a headlight into the future. So take mm. one step and then that step will allow you in faith to That's see great. the next one. That's money. And so We're snapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're snapping. We need to. So I, just,
0: future. Yeah.
1: I love that. I love that. So, and then also my dad said, Uh, more colloquially, he said, uh, son, you know, you you can't steer a parked car. So basically, if you just sit there and, you know, with the steering wheel going left and right, no matter what you do, you're still not going anywhere, but you have to take a step. So even if you take a misstep or what might seem to be a misstep, but God later uses it, you know, in your sort of um, and what he does to you in the future, you know, that step is not wasted. So Amen. just do something to steal that book title. Yeah. Someone should someone should have wrote ago. that book.
2: Yeah. Mm. The young.
0: That's good. Just do something. Ooh. Okay. Talk about your current vocation now, Walter. You're 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 at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, assistant by, by uh, t- vice, What are you assistant vice <laughs> president? It's not assistant to the vice president. Assistant, it's, uh, it's, it's associate vice associate, president. Associate, there it, it is. For, for, for,
1: <laughs> there you go. It's a, it's a mouthful. Which I, I said, can we shorten it at all? And yeah, I, say, no. I just
0: call you VP. So yeah, for yeah, for a yeah, lot I'm of VP. reasons. Yeah, yeah. So so exactly. t- talk about what you do now.
1: So uh, so I have two titles at the, at the seminary. One's the Associate Vice President for Kingdom Diversity Initiatives, which this drags on forever. <laughs> but the, the long and the short of it is that we are trying to create an environment where men and women can be trained for ministry from any different background. And then anyone who comes here to be equipped to serve in any background, you know, to serve people from every background. Right. And so uh, people think about a diversity initiative, they think about a lot of, um, uh, a lot of sort of government-related things like, like uh, affirmative action, Title IX, and these sorts of things. Uh, our goal is a kingdom vision that we see in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, Revelation 5, 9, and 10, and, and that we are trying to facilitate an environment for all God's children to flourish so that we can then minister to all God's children. So our diversity initiative, yes, it does, have drastic implications for uh, persons who are not historically a part of the Southeastern family. But it has a lot to do with uh, the majority culture students who are here, equipping them to understand how to minister the true gospel to people mm. from a variety of different backgrounds that they haven't had those same experiences and what have you. What are the wounds in the communities that, that you might be going into? Uh, we are a Southern Baptist Seminary. So And we have uh, a part of our denomination, our North American Mission Board, has a strategy to plant churches, and we're focusing on urban areas. And what's true about these urban areas is that without a doubt, you will encounter all kinds of people if you're going to plant a church or minister in a church or revitalize a church in those environments. So the question is, are you uh, equipped to communicate the redemptive message of Christ to people In a way that they can that 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 resonates with their own experience not that it changes the message it might change the on-ramp that you take to get them onto the way of christ and so uh equipping our students to be able to do that in such a way that's winsome uh in, in a way that's heartfelt in a way that is uh savvy uh is is the task that we're about with my administrative title and then on the other side of that, uh, I do teach theology. and so I'm just like any other theology faculty member uh, where I watch the major doctrines of the of the faith with our students. Um, and I love that. I teach uh, theology, what we call theology one uh, in the fall and what we call theology two in the spring. and we and we just march through who is God, you know, um, uh, who is humanity? Uh, what is the spirit, who is Christ, His person and work? what you know who what is the church? what you know the end times? All those major doctrines we walk through those and then i teach my elective classes in the area where i have uh, some expertise
0: awesome mm. Mm. love what you're doing down there you know we never yeah. we never had you for any classes you don't do many uh many of the uh hybrids do you
1: i've done one yeah and, and i get so long-winded because i get so passionate and stuff i, I just lose track of you all can't the time can't get through it i just, can't get, can't, it. I just yeah. can't get through it yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you should do some more we'll get if you did more we'd get our guys taking your class take
2: the the dr borger approach and just find some topics that you want to talk about
1: (laughs) and just 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 rattle them off yeah we (laughs) spent we
0: spent three hours on roll the first time first day of Old testament one
2: he is so fun yeah that's awesome if you are, if you happen to be enrolled at Southeastern and are listening, get Doctor Borger. Well, you know, you know, we
0: can't, we can't recommend that anymore because we now provide Old Testament one and two. Oh, that's
2: true. On site yeah. in Roanoke, Virginia,
0: through Doctor Gary Yates. Yeah, so join the bon- Phenom- House. Join the Bonhoeffer House. Take our course in Roanoke. But if you are on on campus, yeah, by all means, take that yeah. Borger. <laughs> good, good. Now, uh, through this this vocation, this calling that you have, uh, you've it, you've been man. From from this beautiful New River Valley, looking at your life from a distance, you have really walked through a lot of challenges, a lot a lot of challenges personally, professionally. Uh, how do you do it? W- w- uh, what motivates you to keep going? And love for you to describe some of the practices that helps you, uh, that help you persevere.
1: Yeah, yeah. So just to kind of give voice to some of the challenges, um, I. I think that, um, as far as being one of the few African American theologians that we have in South Baptist Convention, uh, there's a. And you're not just
0: you're not just one of the few African American theologians in the SBC. You also you're a pretty public figure because you were the uh, second vice president last year. Is that right?
1: Uh, first vice president but oh. hey, he <laughs> <laughs> i keep messing it up oh man <laughs> i swear yeah, i'm yeah, not yeah. doing this on purpose <laughs> it, it, it's yeah okay. It's, it, it's, it's okay so first vice yeah, president so, yeah so that, that's that's a part of it too so i've been fairly involved with the nominational life uh and then that really puts more light onto what i'm doing in the classroom yeah. in my writing you know uh but really being one of the few that are doing the sort of things we're doing so the the, the part of the rub in that comes with the fact that there's questions that, uh, I'm trying to answer that uh, aren't, uh, that haven't been historically raised by yeah. a lot of Southern Baptists. Yeah, And so, uh, because others have raised those same questions and answer them in a way that I would not answer them. There is the assumption that I'm going to go the same way as the people that have answered them in such a way that I have not approved of.
0: Mm.
1: And so, um, you know, so th- there's been a lot, of, a lot of misunderstanding. I'll, I'll say that, mm. and so, and that idea of misunderstanding is part of the survival tactic, um, because uh, I have to assume the best out of people, uh, or else I would just uh, Im- implode. But how do you really? do that? Because when yeah. someone
0: criticizes me, I just, I don't. Mm, uh, what? How do I put this? Um, assuming the best about them is challenging. Yeah. I usually assume that they're that they're stupid. Uh, they're wrong. Well, obviously they're wrong. Uh, so, 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 uh, coach me here.
1: How do you how do you well, do it? How do I do it? Well, you know, to be honest with you, um, my my grandmother came and visited. So there was a season uh, last April, not this April, April 19, where there's this article that came out about me in the New York Times. Not about me, but there's a lot of people in it. But it it really kind of there's it became, a lot of it became words, about you. Yeah. Yeah. That were about me. Yeah. yeah. So, and it really was, uh, it could have been interpreted poorly by some or wrongly by some folks. And it definitely was. Um, and then, you know, that, that, but that's like a long story that we don't have to get into all the details there, but long, the long, the short of it, there was a lot of attention coming my way. 80, 85 plus percent of it was very negative. And so, uh, and from around the world. So, so my, only cause New York times is such a, a global, mm. uh, periodical, so soon after that, my grandmother came and visited, and uh, and she said, "Baby," <laughs> which is what she called me. <laughs> she's like, "So I, I've I've been seeing a lot of a lot of things going on," and she was basically just wanting to reference that she it was a- a- acknowledged the difficulty. <clears throat> and she said, "How you doing?" And so I just kind of told her how I was doing. At that particular moment, I wasn't doing great. And then she looked back at me, and she's like, "Walter, what did you expect?" She said, there's an adversary who's real. Mm. And she says, and you are who you are in America. Um, And the fact is people are going to misunderstand you.
0: Mm.
1: She says, we can't, we can't do anything about that. But she says, are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you reading the word? Okay. She says, without that, you have nothing. She said, uh, because she, she marched uh, in the civil rights movement. She was at the March on Washington. She did. I mean, she's, She's 86. She lives in Chicago on the south side. She has the vast majority of her life. Before that, she was in East Texas. Uh, in Tyler, Texas, uh, really close to the, the Louisiana border. Mm. Um, like for example, when I fly uh to Laterno University, which is right next to Tyler, I fly into Shreveport, Louisiana and drive into the, you know, past over the Texas state line. That's how close it is to Louisiana. So the culture there is not Dallas. It's, you know, yeah. Louisiana more so. So so she so she was trying to give me a a, a really stern message that your uh, communion with the lord is the only way that you can that you have a shot in making it through any any sort of adversity mm. and then that is the that will give you the ability to do something that you are not capable of doing yourself that only god can do in you in your weakness his strength is made perfect and she said and baby the only way that you can do that is if you are you know, praying and fasting and reading the word. And then, so, uh, and she was at our house for a, a week last year, uh, visiting us. And sure enough, I mean, she was an example of that. She would mm. go uh, to, to her room and, and she would, she, she'd fat, she was, she'd fast, but a particular week she was fasting. Uh, and, um, she'd be once a day. And at the end of the day, she would just disappear into her room and she'd be reading the word and she would be praying. And so uh, my my grandmother uh, is indicative of what was going on with the grassroots of the the uh, foot soldiers is what we call them in the civil rights movement Mm. is a is a very deeply spiritual and I say spiritual as as in Christian yeah a deeply Christian uh, foundation because how in the world do you get bitten by dogs yeah yeah respond how in the world does your child have a hose pointed on them and you don't respond with anger? Yeah. That's Christ in you. Yeah. So she said, that's, that's what it is today. And she says, and if you don't, if you don't have that as your foundation, then you have no hope. You might as well just quit now, man. What? She was just telling me to press in.
2: Amen. What a powerful, yeah. powerful statement. And, and so cool <laughs> that you get to hear it from, from your grandmother. I love, I love how much you've already, talked about your family as man, a a bedrock and a foundation for you. And, uh, seems like God has used them in some really mighty and and powerful ways to form you and shape you and direct you. So thanks for sharing that with us.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no problem. Yeah. We get it. We're getting a, a kind of picture of what generational life togetherness can look like.
2: Yeah. Like they're they're Yeah. I aspire to be right. a, a granddad like like that like that. Uh yeah. That would be awesome. Um what's your yeah, gr- we, we,
1: uh-huh.
2: what's your grandma's name?
1: Belvia Jean Strickland. Awesome.
2: Belvia. Amazing. <laughs> good, good. Now uh
0: I do feel a little bit more equipped to deal with yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've just I'm ready. Yeah. Pray and there fast. You yeah. There you go. There you go. Now um, uh, we're going to switch gears just a little bit here, Walter. And I'd love to just know, uh, you know, some some secret study habits, or not maybe not secret, but study habits that you you employ in your work as a theologian. Now, I, this this question carries even more weight, knowing that you weren't reading until you were nine, uh, that you hadn't read a book until the Screw Tape Letters when you were eighteen. So, so what now are you using just to help you uh, help you study better?
1: Wow. That's a, that's a great question. So, um, the, the, the early training that I got to be a theologian came on the ball field and on the basketball court really, uh, is that, you know, and I was able to express a, uh, a will that just would not quit, you know, just hard wow. work. Mm. And so, um, I think that is just the, 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 first step in all this. Uh, it really is a discipline. So cultivating, um, lifelong patterns that uh, produce faithfulness over time is really what the, what we're talking about here. And so I think I've made up quote unquote for lost time. Uh, I, there, there still are things that people reference that they you know, books that they read when they were kids, especially uh, you know, fiction books that they read when, they were, when they were a kid. I'm like, Oh, I still haven't read that one because I just didn't do reading at yeah. that time, you know? Yeah. Uh, or I just didn't care to listen as they were being discussed in class because I didn't do the reading and what have you. But, um, Having that just stalwart, hey, I will get up at five in the morning and then I'm going to read and research and write till eight in the morning every day. So now my, you know, so whatever that pattern is, just being committed to that.
0: Is that your pattern right now?
1: Yeah. So, so when I was a a PhD student, yeah, it was, you know, I would get up, um, start writing at five, stop at eight uh, in the morning and then Monday, Wednesday or Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, I would write from 8.30 to 10 p.m., which is not a pace that's sustainable whatsoever. That was for a particular season that we stopped doing it s- as soon as after, after we could, because you just can't do that forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's unhealthy. And I think you'll die spiritually uh, mm. doing that, uh, which I would I would augment that if I can go back and do it again to have less time of study to elongate my program, the Ph.D., to have a, a more sustainable spiritual life. So, but that's a different conversation, but we can talk about that if you'd like. Um, but yeah, now I, uh, during this immediate sort of COVID crisis, I'm actually getting a lot of time to write. I started writing at six in the morning um, and then I write till breakfast with my family. Then I go back into my office after breakfast and then write until lunch. And so I'm actually making some hay right now in writing projects, but. And that's all. I, at, in- that's all
0: at home for you now. You have a home it's office awesome. where you're doing that? Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 So, that, and it's great. And my kids are actually being troopers about not, uh, that's not the door when I'm there, you know, because basically from, uh, prior to the COVID crisis, they were trained that if daddy was home, he was available. Right. Uh, Cause I would, I would only research and write at home when they were asleep and they sleep for like 12 hours. And so, Amen. uh, that's, that gives me a lot of time.
0: Good, good. Now, uh, I've got a uh, another question re- regarding your, you know, your vocation as a theologian. Tell us why theology is important for the average Joe.
1: Yeah, and and I would even tinker with the question a little bit Uh-oh. because if it's not uh, pertinent to the average Joe, then you're not doing theology. Uh, and and that's one of my own theological mm-hmm. convictions yeah. that if you are if you aren't thinking about the things of God in such a way that's usable for the people of God. Then what in the world are you actually doing? Um, I've, re- I've, read, right I've read I've right. read
0: plenty of books that um, that don't that would not be yeah that wouldn't pass that test.
1: And, and unfortunately, people <laughs> keep publishing them. <laughs> Amen. And and, and, I, and I think I think it's you know, on the one hand for those in the academy to impress those in the academy. Yeah. But the reality is, is that the reason I work at a denominational seminary is a very intentional because mm. I want to be at an institution that's tethered to the local church. Amen. And so this is not, this is not a mistake for me because there's been, you know, uh opportunity to do otherwise uh, even before the opportunity to be at Southeastern was available. Mm. And uh, there's more zeros on other packages, but this is just a theological conviction to be at a place like this. Uh, and therefore, like when I produce texts in theology, when I write theologically, uh, there is this um, gift that the African American Christian tradition has uh, bequeathed me. That there is, I mean, with with the idea that you know every doctrine doesn't find its fulfillment until it's usable, mm. and so and, until until it's immediately available to the church, the to the church to be able to use as people in the pew. So if I can't write a book published by Cambridge University and then go communicate what, you know, what that means to, you know, somebody who's in the pew and why in the world that has any relevance to their life, And I haven't done my job.
0: Mm. And I wonder, and so, yeah. I wonder if even what you're talking about is part of the reason why a lot of the, uh, the average Joe and Jane, uh, think that theology is not for them because, um, maybe they picked up the wrong book or, uh, or the wrong theologian, uh, you know, they, they listen to.
2: Sure. Yeah, or, or, or even part of the reason why seminary has a, a, a bad rap, cemetery. As, yeah, as, as overly intellectual, or yeah, or faith, uh, faith uh-huh. killing.
1: Yeah, and so, and it's and it's interesting because I'm 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 of the mind to say that we can't be fideistic. We have to be we have to be intellectually rigorous. There has to be that that there is a depth that I take my students to uh, that I do in the classroom, and in, especially my doc, you know doctoral students people who are doing postgraduate degrees like the ThM. I do take them to a depth that is that does root them with the larger ideas in the, that are going on in the, in the academy so that they can engage. They're not intellectually pathetic. But if they can, not then bridge that back to the person who doesn't have any clue of what all that stuff is. And so it's like I'm building this intellectual edifice that if I'm just uh, equipping someone to be a Christian intellectual, I failed.
2: Mm.
1: I have to take the next step, which is really the the actual game and, you know, of theology the the task of theology is actually doing the work of actually making this um so that it's illuminated in our lives mm. so this there's just been there's been this sort of chasm between theory and practice and um the 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 western academy has made it so that we can actually be experts in theory never having done practice and call ourselves an expert and i think that's pathetic
0: mm. more snapping preach more snapping <laughs> we have a Oh, I yeah. figured out how to use it.
1: <laughs> there we go, there
0: you go. Oh, man, our first applause here Yeah. on the hammer and quill. Now, uh, let me ask you another question regarding that. Um, why is it important to read widely in the- in the- theological study? So in other words, uh, how, why would it be important to read sources from outside of our particular theological um, brand or or tribe or even um, maybe denomination? How can And yeah, how, can, how can we remain... Uh, solidly orthodox, theologically orthodox, maybe even s- it remain in our in our theological commitments while we venture out and read people we, we might disagree with. Why would that be important? How how do we do that?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So there's a couple of layers I'll, I'll sort of engage one at a time. Uh, the, the the first layer are those who are who might you know, who are in theological agreement with us on sort of fundamental issues. You know, Christ's person, work, you know, redemption, and what that all you know entails. Uh, so, I mean, I'm a I'm a thoroughgoing Baptist, but I do read those who are Lutheran, Presbyterian, Evangelical, Anglicans, and so on and so forth.
0: Even though they're uh, wrong and, about stuff, I mean, different.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's messed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, and, and it's because they're they're they might be asking a set of questions that need to be answered that those in my denominational family have not engaged for mm. some reason, mm. and so simply to see them. Uh, ask those questions and then usually there's a tradition of answering those questions that they have to help me engage a question i haven't had to answer myself and so I, I can i can see them sort of work their way through things and the process of them doing it seeing the pitfalls and the successes um to then answer that question with some effectiveness for myself and so uh, but then the question becomes well then why why read beyond those who have the same theological convictions as you do and I would say the answer is in part the same, because they might be at asking questions that are 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 uh, are are they're, they're mer- I'm thinking meritorious for some reason that are that are worth engaging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they answer them in such a way that veers off of what you would answer or how you would answer them, because their presuppositions theologically are much different. And so uh, and then the, the question is, why do you read their, you know, ramblings about or not ramblings, but just their answering of those questions that they're different? Well, I, I, I think it does give me a sort of a foil to see, you know, what's too far. But but also are, is there some is there something that they're engaging along the way of answering those questions that I need to engage as someone who has, you know, historic uh, Christian conv- convictions and the answer that I found in many cases is yes. There's, there's things that I need to ga- engage with as they're going along their journey and answering those questions because uh, you know maybe we just haven't thought to answer them and raise those questions as evangelicals. And so uh, not only is it good for me to stretch myself as a thinker without giving up my own convictions because just because you read somebody who's of a different theological persuasion than you, that doesn't mean that you're becoming them. You know, uh, It does allow me to engage them missionally And then it allows me to engage uh, in a world, uh, you know, that is, um, you know, asking a different set of questions in a missional way as well. So, uh, you know, it it helps us to anticipate the questions that those who are uh, opponents to the faith might ask, or even people who are uh, more liberal in the faith, you know, uh, in their presuppositions might have, so we can have a a well thought out engagement with them and be ready to do so uh, prior to to the conversation.
0: Mm, mm, that's really helpful. Now, now, listen, we're out of time. So we had some great questions submitted via social media, like Melanie Thompson from Beautiful Floyd asked, what are some gospel-centered parenting practices you all use? We don't have time for that, Melanie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Seth McDuffie, our our tremendous Bonhoeffer House designer, designed our hammer the house and the quill. He asked, are, do you have any suggestions for Orthodox black theologians, theologically Orthodox black theologians we should be reading? Uh, maybe you could handle that in a lightning round and give us just a couple uh, uh, Brittany Osborne asks, what challenges have y'all faced as a biracial family? Sorry, Walter, we don't have time for that, but, uh, <laughs> on another future podcast, I, I hope to, we'll hope to get tackle it. some of these. Yeah. Get you back on. Uh, and, and Emily Worl, Michael's wife asked, can you even lift 100 pounds of flour? Now, uh, <laughs> this is, this, this is because we have a picture to prove it. Michael lifted 100 pounds, two sacks, <laughs> two 50 pound sacks of flour recently. So we, we have proof that Michael can do it. Ken, do you think you could lift 100 pounds of flour?
1: I think so. I think so so too.
0: You're you're a big, strong person. I think that would not be very hard for you to be honest.
1: The last round of like bench maxing we did, I think I got around 320. Oh, Oh, (laughs) jeez.
0: So Emily, yes, was, he's stronger was, than your husband. That's I was close
2: to that. Yeah. Like just to give, or, you give or take like a hundred. Yeah.
0: We can get within a hundred of that, Walter. All right. Now uh, we're going to, we do a lightning round here. So we're going to, we're going to run right into this lightning round. Uh, what we want you to do is answer these as quick as you can, just right off the top of your head. Number one, LeBron or MJ?
1: MJ, no doubt.
0: No doubt. Agreed. Number two, if you could write one book and it was guaranteed to sell, right? This is just whatever you want. You don't have to worry about it. It's just going to, people are going to buy It's jumping off the shelves. What would you write?
1: I would write a book that summarizes the Christian faith as uh, transformation, proclamation, and demonstration.
2: Are you, are you, are you writing, writing that? that right now?
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's a Word document on my computer that's floating around that I'm, I'm going to talk to my friend Julia Newbell to see if she'll publish it with Moody.
2: Ooh. Ooh. Keep your
0: eyes okay. On, out. Okay. Great. Okay. If you could have one meal right now, pizza, tacos, burgers, which one?
1: Tacos. Tacos. just Tacos, California, Venice Beach.
0: That's right. That's the correct that's answer. That's the right answer. Not that there's anything wrong with pizza or burgers. <laughs> All right. Best book of theology for the average, Joe.
1: Uh, playing theology for playing people. Charles Octavius Booth. Ooh, Ooh. Who, who wrote the, someone uh, just uh, someone just reintroduced <laughs> that. Uh, we'll, we'll, it, p- it's really, it, it is not a shameless plug because I don't get paid for any <laughs> that's of that's right. Like, you got paid
0: once soul. and for all for that, right? I remember I that. Did. Yeah, so yeah, so
1: and it was really really low, so it'd be cheap for you guys. So yeah, it's buy a my
0: great own. book. I read through it last year. I'll probably read through it every couple of years. We'll post to that in the show notes. Uh Best book of theology for a pastor theologian. We have a lot of guys who are who are aiming to be pastor theologians through the Bonhoeffer mm-hmm. House. What's one book they need?
1: Uh Creation Regained, Albert Walters. Mm. Ooh, I've
2: not read that yet.
0: All right, show notes. What's something under one hundred dollars that every Practicing theologians should own. Doesn't have to be a book. This could be anything.
1: Oh, man. Uh, A book weight to keep the book open as you type. Oh,
2: yes. You love that answer, Jesse. I have one. You do. Okay. (laughs) I do love that answer.
0: All right. We'll post, we'll find one on Amazon and post that in the show notes as well. What's the worst advice you regularly hear given to young pastors or theologians? Worst advice? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. (laughs)
1: Because our hearts I, are wicked, and you know, and all that stuff. But, I mean, but also, I'll give uh Theology is a science.
0: Oh, mm. that's that's an advice advice you hear. Or what's what's your retort? Uh,
1: the, theology theology is more of a of a journey. Mm. in Ooh. the mm. sense that it's because it's inherently applied. You just follow to your this. heart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, I like that. Theology is a journey. How do you get unstuck on a project? What are what are what's a trick you use to break through when you're stuck on a project?
1: I step back. I remember the reason why I started it.
0: Mm. Great answer. Last question. And, and also, oh, go ahead. And
1: the people I'm writing to. Okay. There you
0: go. All right. Last question. What are you most excited about for the future of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary?
1: To be honest with you, man. Just to to it's it's like a what we've been doing in the past to and I said, this sounds corny, sounds like a commercial, but I'm excited about equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the great commission, which is our which is our mission statement. And um that that's really what we're uh, that's our bread and butter. That's what we do. That's what That's why I'm so frustrated that we don't have, we don't have graduation coming up next week because we don't get to see people yeah. like Aaron being shot off into the nations.
2: Mm.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you Dr. Walter Strickland for joining us from the beautiful campus of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And thank you, Michael, for joining here from an appropriate, responsible distance right now. I cannot reach you. Thank you for not sneezing while you've been here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to The Hammer and Quill, Episode 7, an interview with Walter Strickland. Now, please subscribe, review us on iTunes, throw some five-star reviews our way. Until next time, peace. Peace.